I want to begin by telling you this, and I mean this very sincerely. Every one of you in this room today is an answer to prayer. God answers prayers. And you might say, well, he's trying to make me feel good. No, I actually make me feel good saying that because I've seen God work and move by bringing each of you in and some of you in and out and some of you here for the first time. When we moved here seven years ago, we came with a resolve to plant the gospel of Jesus, knowing and believing that the gospel of Jesus bears fruit. Things happen when you try to do your best to honor God and preach the good news of the gospel. Lives are changed, marriages are healed, community is restored, addictions are broken, hope is restored and found. We moved here seven years ago from Brenham. We helped, Brenham, Texas, we helped plant a church there. It's called Redeemer Church in Brenham, still going well. I was a community pastor there and was a part of that launch team. One of the founding elders served uh, alongside the pastors there for three and a half years, and then they commissioned us and sent us out here to plant the gospel. And God has been so gracious along the way to humble us, to restore us, to use us, and to inform us of his character in the midst of brokenness and disappointment. But the reason you're here is very clear to me. The reason you're here is so that you might connect with God through his son Jesus and then be used by God for his glory, meaning showing God who, uh, showing the world who God is through your mission out in the world. Ultimately, the main point I want you to take away is this, that Jesus calls us and uses us in the work of expanding his kingdom. Whether you're aware of it, whether you acknowledge it or not, he uses us in the work of expanding his kingdom. Not just guys like me who are on stage or guys like Gatlin who lead worship or women like Julie who administer and who lead the women's ministry, but all believers are actually called to be missionaries. An old dead guy named Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, a, a British Reformed Baptist preacher in the 1800s, put it this way as he was preaching a sermon out of 1 Peter chapter 2, he says this, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. I wish I came up with that. But sometimes it's nice to hide behind a quote, isn't it? But I believe it's true. Every follower of Jesus is a missionary or an imposter. When you grasp and understand the gift of God that is that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. His own perfect son gave his life on our behalf so that through him we might be restored to God and then live our lives ignoring with ungratefulness. That says something. But hear me. The goal of this sermon is not to invoke guilt and motivated mission. The heart of the sermon is to rightly align, uh, rightly align our thinking so that we can have the most fun. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, open with me to Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. And I want to bring some context around what I'm saying when I say you all are an answer to prayer. Last Sunday for Easter, we had two services with over 400 people in attendance which was an all-time record for us. We had, I think, 170-plus in the first service, 160-plus in the second service, 
And that's not including all the children who are here. And people much smarter than I did some math algorithms and they're figuring out, like, get an idea. But, but here's the deal. I don't really care about the specific number. I care for the fact that souls are hearing about the good news of Jesus. So pick up with me in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, he had been healing people, he had been walking on water, calming storms, uh, feeding thousands of people with very little, and he gets to this point where he is in ministry with his disciples, and he makes this observation. And he went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so we see Jesus here, not just showing the power of the kingdom, but proclaiming it with his words. He's teaching about who the Father is, what it means to be a part of his kingdom, and he's showing the power of the, behind his words and of this kingdom through his miraculous works. And so the miraculous works were serving always to point back to the truth of his message. And in the truth of this message, people were hearing this good news and, cap and being captured by a greater eternal meaning and purpose. It's interesting because I don't know if you've heard the saying, preach the gospel and whenever you have a chance, use words. And it's attributed to a guy that actually didn't say that. He might have. Someone argued with me one time when I said that. Well, he might have said that. Sure. He might have, but we don't have any record of him saying that. The reality is, isn't just using words for the gospel and it's not just using action for the gospel. And I think that's where sometimes churches and Christians miss the boat. I think a lot of times we either are so good about articulating truths, but so horrible at living out the implications of them that it causes confusion. On the flip side, I think other groups of us, Christians, are great at doing nice works and good works, but never bring any message of hope. And so there's temporal help without any hope. Most of the time we see truth or justice, but I believe Jesus lived a balance and commanded a balance of truth and justice. One that is based because of who God is, because of God's sacrificial love given towards his people, we then live our lives as his people in response. But my concern is, is that compassion today has turned to compromise. Compassion today has turned to compromise. Notice what happens here. Jesus is going, proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease. And when the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he, he, he had enough capacity to be aware of that which was going on around him. He had, his response was compassion. Just a brief question for you and I, and for us as a church family. When we see need, how do we feel? When you see a need, I'll just be forthright with you, since I may be the only one here who struggles with being imperfect. People are laughing, thank you. Okay, we're not all in isolation here. Sometimes my response to need is judgment. 
What did they do to get themselves into that position? They're reaping what they sow. If they would only do these things. So my first response usually isn't compassion. I can eventually get there if I learn the story and I judge that it's worthy then of compassion, I can show compassion. Another response to seeing need, whether spiritual, physical, whatever, is to ignore it. We just ignore it. As long as I don't make eye contact with the guy with the sign on the corner, then he doesn't see me and I don't see him. Just an honest feeling I've experienced more than once. Sometimes there's desperation when you are faced with need. That the need seems so overwhelming that it's way beyond what you could even have anything to do with, and so it leaves you with a sense of despair. But compassion-based motivation is one that's not guilt-motivated, but other-centric. And so when you see Jesus seeing and looking with compassion, there was a response. And if we are trying to grow into the image of Christ and grow in Christ's likeness as followers of Jesus, we have to admit when our compassion tank is empty, and for some of you, maybe non-existent. However, when compassion becomes acceptance, then I think that's compromise. When compassion gets to the point where like, well, God loves all of his people and they are just that way and we all sin and we don't want to bring truth in this situation, it moves beyond being compassionate to really condemning. To not bring God's truth into hard situations isn't compassion, but condemnation. To delight in the comfort of our fellow human over the truth of God's holy word and his call is a compromise that leads to condemnation to those who need help and truth. And so when we see Jesus looking upon the crowd, he, he made this observation. He had compassion for them. Why? Because they are harassed and helpless. That's often terms for Israel when they were not under the reign of a, a Jewish king or under the reign of Moses. That when the world, they've given themselves over to the world, that the way you can come and see this in biblical literature is they are then, as a result, harassed and helpless. Like what? Like sheep without a shepherd. And and I just want to remind us, uh, all of us, including myself, are amongst the harassed and helpless without the shepherd. So I'm not standing up here as one saying, I see a bunch of y'all out there who are harassed and helpless. By God's grace, I've just been met by the shepherd. I still need his rod and staff. But I think for Christians, sometimes we feel like we have become the shepherd, and therefore uh, we have the rights to bring the same judgment and condemnation that the over-shepherd does. But while we have responsibility to the flock, to believers, to the church, to make assessment from what the Word of God says, we are not called just to make just, just judgments for the sake of judgments. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. First thing I want to notice here is that when Jesus observed a great need, I want you to know that even though we live in and around the Woodlands area, there is still profound need. You hear me say a lot that while there might not be monetary poverty in our area specifically, there actually is. I was with a pastor the other day. Um, down uh, near Hardenstore Road going through these neighborhoods that are known for prostitution and drugs within a five to seven mile radius from here. 
So, so there are, are those also who are impoverished financially in our area. But even beyond that, those that most of us come in contact with, the poverty doesn't show itself monetarily, at least overtly. Most of the poverty shows itself through relational poverty, that we use one another so much in transactional relationships to use each other to get what we need so that we can live our life and then continue to move on in isolation. Whereas the gospel calls us to understand that Christ gave it all so that we can have him and therefore have healthy relationships with God and with each other. And meaningful marriages and meaningful community and meaningful friendships and have a meaningful engagement with the community around us. But the first thing we've got to understand is there is a great need. Let me ask, I'm just going to issue a challenge. If you call Christ Community Church your home, I want to just show of hands, how many of you check the news online, read the news online, do something with the news at least once a week? Show of hands. Look around, very well informed. I'm not going to judge you and be like, stop it. No, I'm not going to do that, right? I mean, we're aware of the news. I have this theory that I'm going to try out with you that we are so overstimulated by global and national issues that are really, by and large, out of our immediate control that we don't have capacity to be aware of those around us who have true need. And so I'd love to challenge you for one week to fast from outside news other than the great newspaper of potpourri. If you know what that is, you're, you're giggling. There's a few others, but what if we took a break and said, look, here's what I know. I've, I've done media fast for like months at times where I don't check the news, someone tells me. And what if we spend that time praying for God to bring workers for the harvest instead of feeling overwhelmed by things that are by and large out of our immediate control? Because it goes on to say here, look what Jesus says to his disciples. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There are many who are ready to enter into the kingdom and be a part of the work. There are many who are ready for the salvation and, and, and freedom and acceptance that God gives through his son. There are many who want to be reconnected with their Savior. They're just not aware of it yet. He says, so the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers of that harvest, they are few. So notice what he says here. He doesn't say, so therefore you better work harder. You better sign up for four serve teams. you got to go out and throw gospel tracts to anybody who will look at you. You've got to write nice gospel messages on, on the receipt as long as you tip well at the restaurant. Notice what he says first. He says, pray. When I'm overwhelmed, prayer has been a discipline I've had to cultivate and a habit I've had to form because naturally I want to strategize and fix and I still fail at that a lot. When Jesus, overwhelmed with compassion for the need around him, his first invitation wasn't to go work harder. It was to pray. So to connect the dots for you, that when I say you're an answer to prayer, as we've sensed the profound need in our area, I've been praying that God would raise up his people to do the work of ministry. Many of you here are engaging in that work to an extent, but there's a lot more need in our area that I at least want to be a small part of for us as a church in engaging with. And so that's why I'm inviting you to say, hey, let's take a week. If you need to check the news once because you fill out of sorts and the world does better with you knowing everything and then commenting on it on Facebook, then do your thing. If the world's just better that way, fine. 
But what if we just took a week and said, we're going to shut out some of the outside noise? Because let me just give you, I'm not even a prophet. It's bad news. It might be different types of bad news, but it's bad news. So why don't we take some time to focus on the one who is the good news, that we might be able to influence our culture with it. And if a week's too long, then take a day. If you're like, I just need to miss a morning because I can't, well, fine. Um, we also work with Dr. John Vanderkay on addiction, so we can help you. But what if we just stopped really and said, before we're going to put together a five-point action step plan to reach more people for the gospel, we stop and pray. Because in the next chapter, in, in, in Matthew 10, we see Jesus then send his disciples out but not before they were connected with the Father and intimacy of prayer. So the first thing is, there's a great need. And number two is this prayer connects us to the power for the harvest. Prayer is what connects us to the power source. We're not going to go and make these great programs and then all of a sudden see a huge harvest. Look, we can throw a party and get a big crowd. I used to be speakers at those parties. A speaker, not speakers. There weren't multiple of me. And I'm not saying they're all bad, but that's really not what God calls a local church to be. He calls a local church to be an expression of the good news of the gospel with many different talents and gifts bringing together for the purpose of generous ministry in the context. And if we're not a praying people, we are, listen, I know most of your stories if you're a member here. You're high-capacity people. We can accomplish a lot together by ourselves on our own, but ultimately, our calling is to first go to the source of that power. Because I think one of the reasons we lack compassion or rush to judgment or want to condemn or want to fix or ignore is because we have limited capacity because we're relying on ourselves. Our infinite God that we serve has unlimited capacity. There are more workers for the harvest that don't even know God yet. Who need to. You need to know that there's a God who created them and loves him or her, sent his son to die on their behalf, rose again, defeating sin, death, and Satan, so that through hoping in Christ alone, they can begin to experience real life. I think one of the most convicting parts of preparing for this message was really getting caught up in the judgment of people who are not as great off as myself. Or people who perpetually make bad choices. Or people who look and think differently than me. And the, the problem with that is that what we are saying is we're ultimately supposed to conform people into our image. But what the gospel says is that we are created in the image of God and through Christ become restored in that image. I lack compassion, church, and I'm sorry. Sometimes in your situations, I lack compassion because my capacity is full or because I try to fix it rather than going to God in prayer. But the type of things that have gotten us to where we are as a church today will not get us where God is calling us to go. We must be a praying church. We're high capacity and we can create some form of power, but we want supernatural power. We want the gospel to bring transformation in our community. 
It's overwhelming. I remember the first time I went to Kenya. I was warned before I went, the needs are overwhelming because they're very out, out, in, the, out in the open. Orphans, HIV, abuse, neglect, mental illness, physical illness, starvation, poverty. The need just goes on and on. It's overwhelming. And so the first thing that you're tempted to do is try to give away all the money you brought with you and maybe even some of the clothes and watches you brought and you, you, know, you feel bad about that for a little bit and you get back on the 747, and, uh, have it a warm meal and watch a movie and kind of start forgetting it. Another thing you do is you say, hey, we're just going to, uh, we're, we're just going to do what we can when we can, not really think about it. But again, when we're overwhelmed, begin to pray, because when you pray, things like feet teach hope happen. As you pray for God to come up with strategic needs, to meet those needs in those areas, there's a lot more that could be done. But right now, for uh, under $42,000 a year, 287 students are getting an education in the slum in Lemuru, Kenya. And the ed education they're getting is not merely about academics, it's about Jesus. And they're getting two meals a day. And they're getting clothes to wear. And so, with being overwhelmed, let that be the fuel for prayer because what we're overwhelmed with reminds us that we're not God and that we need Him. And that we're a part of the body of Christ, but we're not it. And seeing beautiful things come together where people are passionate and they start dreaming and thinking and praying and saying, let's make a small impact here and see what happens. So you go from 87 to 287 in two years of students being impacted. A pastor who was mentoring 21 church planters who's now in, is mentoring 26 church planters throughout Kenya. That's not to brag. That's the fruit of prayer going to God saying, it is overwhelming. We can't fix it all, but what can we do? And then listening and then dreaming and then thinking and not doing my thing and your thing, but coming together as the body of Christ with prayer to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus. But this field, this harvest in this field, I want you to see something. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-9. through 9. And Paul is talking about this competitive nature that is forming between the churches in a place called Corinth. And so Paul says, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. The good news for us is the field isn't ours to tend. Therefore, territorialism and competitive nature in the kingdom is ridiculous. It's idolatry. See what it says? That we do have participation. Some scatter the seeds, some water it and tend to it, but ultimately it's God who brings the harvest. And guess what? He's the God of the field. He created all things, therefore He has ownership right over all things. And in that over ownership rights, He has authority to do what He pleases with His field. And for whatever reason, He invites us to belong with Him. The field belongs to God. Our calling is to show up and to do whatever the owner commands us to do, who's watered, uh, uh, or who's watered us, who's, who's wired us to either plant or water. 
You understand the faithfulness is the gauge of success in the Christian life and for the church. Success is engaged by, oh, we had 400 people last Sunday, or we had a huge offering, or a big budget, or we've given away this much money, or planted this many churches. While those things are, are hopefully fruits of the gospel, that's not what earns it or keeps it. They're responses to the fact that we've been given it all. And so our calling as believers is to show up with the way we're wired, with our gifts, with our talents, with our resources, and to say, God, here am I, use me. And to then enjoy being a finite being, being used by an infinite God for eternal purposes. The field belongs to God, but here's also the good news. As we see in here, the harvest belongs to God also. The harvest is His. What God is doing at Christ Community Church and several of the churches in our area is he's doing what pleases him. He's providing the growth in his timing. He is calling men and women, boys and girls, to relationship with themselves so that they can get in the game being workers in this field, get to enjoy being a part of a harvest that is his, feeling alive maybe for some for the very first time. Look, there will not be any significant eternal growth in our church without God. And that is good news. That is good news when people become intoxicated by the Spirit of God because of the person of God in Jesus, informed by the Word of God and on the mission of God. And when we're engaged in that mission, fueled by the person of God, led by the Spirit of God, that's when we have joy even when we suffer. That's why we have joy even in the midst of trials. That's why we forgive again and again and again. That's why we fight for reconciliation rather than division because of the one who made us and saved us and calls us. We fight for those things that he is for because we are not our own. We are called to participate with God, doing the things that matter for God, being on mission with God, giving all that we have for His glory and for His purposes. And this understanding should liberate us to engage our culture with compassion and with guided direction. The interesting thing that I find when I sit with especially men in our church and also with some ladies is that as busy as we are, we're often having this underlying layer of boredom. We're busy and we're bored. Because most of the time we order our lives and work in our lives in such a way that everything that we understand we're gaining will one day burn up. Until we connect to the eternal purposes that God has won us into and wired us and saved us for, there will never be any sort of lasting vision, purpose, or joy in our lives. We might have a lot of stuff, but we'll still be bored with it. I want to encourage us finally from Paul encouraging the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14, and then I'll be done. Verse 
we recently did this thing called Intentional Churches, and we did this personality assessment on where people are wired. Either they're more uh, logistical thinkers or strategic thinkers. On the one through five is, is kind of more detail-oriented, not many variables, don't really jive with ambiguity. Um, and I think I told some of you about this before. On the other end, it's strategic thinking, big picture, quantum leaps, big growth and all that. Um, I had Stephanie, my wife, do the assessment, and she's like, I don't like these things. I think they're biased because she came out a two. I shared this with you a few weeks ago. I came out an 8.8. I drive most of you crazy. Because as I've gotten to know you and gotten to know your personalities and everything else, I'm like, big picture, big things, revival, boom, 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 right, going after these big things. But one thing I realize is, hey, I need parachute. My wife's a great parachute. She's like, look, you can jump, but you need to slow down. Do you know what you call a person who jumps without a parachute? Dead. As a body, we need each other. The mission's not complete with one guy up here or a couple people. The mission isn't really even biblically faithful unless all of his people are engaged in it in the way that God has wired and helped them to be. And that's when we start feeling alive. That's when we start realizing that as finite beings, we're involved in something infinitely great and eternally lasting. That engages us being fully reconnected into image bearers of God, an eternal God. Otherwise, we just consume and we opine. We have opinions. And we take and we give. Or we really live. Colossians 1, 9-14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Hmm, we are praying again. That seems so unproductive for most of us, doesn't it? Again, we're engaged in the supernatural, not the natural. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So this response to the gospel is to begin to understand our identity and ownership isn't any longer in the world, but of a God who loves us and sacrificially redeems us and then informs us so that the response, the overflow of this knowledge of this eternal God is fruit evidences of his supernatural power being expressed in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at our places of business or school, in our extended family. This fruit is growing and multiplying, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, the supernatural power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I love this idea of strengthened with power, not producing power. Any of y'all who work out ever not want to go to the gym? I see a lot of y'all nodding. Have you ever gone and then been so glad that you did? More times than not, I end up going and I feel so glad that I did. A few times I go and I feel like dying. But most of the time, we engage in hard things, press through it, trusting that the source of the strength and perseverance has never been up to us to manufacture or sustain, but given to us by the God who made us, who has a lot at stake in our perseverance. 
We've got to grow up to be a church that is willing to take risks and do hard things. And hear me, many of you are those people. Many of you have sacrificed. Many of you have given. Many of you have served. And so I'm not, don't hear this as a correction, but an encouragement and an inspirational point to say there's more of God to have when we get to our capacity and lean into Him. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. To the Father who has qualified you to share, to partake in the inheritance that's awaiting for us in Christ. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God is the source and sustainer of our mission. There's a Christian phrase that makes me want to pull out my hair. Fortunately, I don't have any. Out of my comfort zone. Anybody ever heard that before? I'm not judging you if you use it. I say it all the time. We've got to come up with a better phrase, and so maybe we'll have a competition for a new phrase, do hard things or something like that. But most of us don't want to be called out of our comfort zone, yet we're bored inside of it. And if we leap outside of it without prayer and community and the Word and hope in Christ, it's destructive. But God, this is the good news, is a source and sustainer of our mission. The quote I read at the beginning is, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Your life is preaching a gospel. Is a gospel your life preaching one of forgiveness or unforgiveness, one of grace or of judgment, one of consumerism or generosity, one of hope or hopelessness. And so as I've said before, there's overwhelming need in our immediate vicinity, and part of what we want to do here at Christ Community Church is really take ownership of about a seven-mile radius around us, saying, how can we begin to partner together for the sake of the gospel to see change come in our community? We've partnered with one ministry called Under Over Fellowship. And Under Over Fellowship is a church that ministers primarily to the homeless in the Conroe area. We've been a part of their ministry for the last two years. We've sent teams over there to volunteer. We've engaged financially. We've helped them in various ways. And last week I preached on how Jesus restores our hope. And that he invites us to be hope restorers with them in our area. To be on mission with them here. And so we're going to invite you to join us in a very practical way. They have a ministry that we take for granted. It's their shower ministry. It's not baby showers or wedding showers. It's literally showers. And they need towels, and they need bars of soap. And as I was talking to them about their needs and what they need, I said, what's one way that Christ Community Church can engage collectively as a body to be a part of the solution that you're bringing in our community? Because the beautiful thing about Under Over Fellowship, they don't just provide help, they give the message of hope. They don't just feed and clothe and cover, they also share the gospel and see many come to faith and see them restored by Christ. And so on May 7th, we're going to culminate this, and we're going to collect preferably new bath towels. Like if any of you suckers show up with one of your car wash towels, I can tell it's stained. I'll pray for you, but we'll probably just take it anyways. 
We're going to bring towels and we're going to bring bars of soap and we're going to say, hey, we want to show a very tangible way that we are a part of the body in our immediate community meeting one felt need. And we want you to come on May 7th to be a part of seeing that fulfilled. I love verse 13, though. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So God is the hero, removing us from darkness, placing us in light, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Because you are forgiven. You are. You're not working to be forgiven. You're not trying to keep your forgiveness. You're not trying to pay back for the forgiveness. Because you and I have been forgiven, we can then freely forgive. We can freely love. We can freely serve. We can freely proclaim the goodness of the gospel of Jesus to see many men, women, and child, children, childs, children come to faith in Christ, be transformed by the gospel, and be used as workers in his kingdom. After all, Jesus calls us and he uses us in the work of expanding his kingdom. You and I, and many that will come, Lord willing, through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, through our words and through our deeds, that we might see transformation. Let's pray.